Today's scripture reading will be from Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Someone once said, it doesn't matter how slowly you run, so long as you don't stop. As many of us know, running the race as a follower of Christ can be difficult. There's always unexpected obstacles to overcome and unwanted pain to manage. It's easy to stop. But scripture reassures us that any obstacle or pain we face pales in comparison to what awaits us at the finish line. It's not about getting there first. It's about running with purpose and with peace. The end of Hebrews tells us how to do that, how to keep on running life's amazing race to victory. And the Bible does say in so many ways, life is an amazing race. And I am, hope you're enjoying the race that you're on as we follow Christ. So uh, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, I consider that a win or something along those lines? You know, so when you think of that phrase, I consider that a win, what does it say to you? I have to admit, I have a tendency to be a little negative at times. And so the first thing that comes to my mind is that's really not a win, but you want it to be a win, so you're going to try and figure out a way to call something that's not a win a win, to put a positive spin on it. And I have put a positive spin on many of the events of my life. But as you think about it, I consider that a win. To me, it, it, it says I have considered what has just happened. I've given it some thought, and what looked like a loss when I had on the lenses of this world and looked at things like the world looks at it, I now see value and benefit in it. And I consider it an absolute win. And for those of you who might be in-game fanatics from Avengers, yep, I stole it from the Hulk. I see this as an absolute win. Watch the movie. It's a pretty fun one. But it, he does. Other people see it as a loss. He considered it a win. And in this world, as we live our, our lives in Christ, what other people think is a loss, we can consider an absolute win. So winning, as the world defines it, is not what call, Christ calls a win. It's, so it takes a new way of thinking, a new way of winning. So any of you ever been involved with Special Olympics? Some of you? you? None of you? Come on. I know some of you have been in it. I, my first uh, real exposure to special needs, special ed, was when I started dating this girl at Oklahoma Christian who was a special ed major. And I eventually married her. And after she, I married her, she realized why she got her degree. And it wasn't enough, so she continued. And we started getting her master's in what was called then learning disabilities. I don't know if it's called that or not anymore. And as she took all these uh, classes and these assessments or whatever they're called, I was the guinea pig, you know. She had to give the assessment. Man, I didn't realize I had so many problems in life. Wow, I'm really learning disabled. She comforted me by saying, Kent, everybody has their learning disabilities. You just have more of them. But no, she's... 
But that was my, my beginning. But over the years, I've had an opportunity to be closely associated with, with special needs and special ed, been a part of a lot of special Olympics. Those of you who are involved with special Olympics, you remember their creed, their motto? It is, let me win, but if I cannot win, let me be brave in the attempt. Now, if you've ever been around special Olympians, winning is a big deal. I mean, they, I mean, gold is what we're after. And uh, anything less than gold is not as pleasing. But Special Olympics really does a good job of redefining what a win is. Because what's even better than the medal is the person at the end of that race that's going to hug you or give you a high five or congratulate you. It's the talking, it's the ribbon, it's, it's the celebration of the running. They have helped redefine win in what I would say is a very good way. And in this world that we live in, this world defines win in a certain way, and we get it. I don't even have to define it to you. You know what I'm talking about. But Christ redefines, redefines what is a win. And let me just point out, winning is not finishing first. It's not just saying, all these people that are around me, I just have to get in front of you. I have to be better than everyone else. Paul counters that thought when he says in Acts 20, 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He says a win is to finish, is to complete the task. It is to tell other people. It's not finishing first, and it is also not finishing with the most. The one with the most toys wins? No. It's not all about getting ahead. It's not the thought that I don't have to run faster than the bear, the old joke that every preacher's ever told, I just have to run faster than you. That is not it. Apostle Paul also said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. It's not what I gathered that caused me to win. It is what I did not lose while running. I kept the faith. So on this amazing race, we run to win. I've discovered in life that, especially as a child, I can remember thinking there were a few times that I could run really, really fast. In fact, I like to see uh, the young kids when they obviously have on new tennis shoes, say, ooh, I like your new tennis shoes. I bet you can run fast in them. And then they show me. <laughs> it's always one of my favorite things to do. And I've learned, I learned as a child, there are a few times I can run really fast. Uh, and I can run fast in places I shouldn't be running. I can run fast when I'm being chased. There's several different times that I can run really fast. And on the rest of this message, we're going to think about two specific thoughts. First of all, in this running this race, we have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. And second, the thought of embracing hardships but let first let's look at this concept of keeping our eyes on Jesus how do you keep your eyes focused on Jesus so you can run to win so that you can run fast some of you are in sports and you have probably run or competed in an area where they had fans a stadium maybe where they cheered you on running or you had uh, spectators who are watching you and they cheered you on one of the things that causes us to run fast through life is when family and friends and others are cheerleaders are cheering us on 
And so the question is, who in your Christian journey are the people who cheer you on? The parents, the teachers, the friends. And on this Christian journey, it's not just others that are here with us now. I imagine some of those that cheer you on are Bible characters. We've already looked at some of these, but let me read just a few phrases out of Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We read about those Bible characters and see how they ran and what they um, embraced what God called a win. And it's an encouragement to us. It's something that cheers us on. It's so nice to be running with others who cheer us on. That great cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 speaks to that as well. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. So as a young child, I was a preacher's kid, which means I was at the church building a lot. Back in those days, oftentimes the preacher lived in the building right next door. And I found myself at the church building when it was filled with the church, but I also found myself there often when it was empty. I mean, it was just, just a few of us, my dad and me and maybe my siblings or friend or two. I was in the church building a lot. There was a rule when I was a child growing up. I, I loved to run in the church building. And I, was allowed, I didn't get in trouble for running if I was only running about pe around people that were my age or younger. The rule was if there are people older than you, no running in the halls or around them. So I have run in many a church building. And quite frankly, I think I ran fastest in church buildings than anywhere else. And I tried to think, why does it feel like I'm flying down this hallway? And I think part of what it was was when you run down a narrow hallway, the walls are right there beside you. And so whether you're running fast or not, it feels like you are because the wall is just speeding by you. I mean, if you're running by a tree and it's over there, it doesn't feel like it's, you know, it doesn't feel like you're going fast. But down a hallway, man, it felt like I was flying. And I think it caused me to even run even faster down, down those hallways. It is easier to run faster when people are cheering you on. And I think we should run fastest with the church, not in the church building. I'm talking about with the church. When they cheer us on, when they're right there beside us, when, when what is happening right now is how we run this race. And we're not alone. And we can do this because we're running with the church, not in the church. We're running with the church. So I found that I can run really fast when I'm running with someone. You've probably seen that true as well. I also discovered I can run pretty fast when I'm running away from somebody. Back in Hebrews 12.1, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I found oftentimes I can, uh, I can run fast when I'm running away from something whether it's being chased or trying to escape something. When I was in the first grade down in Norman, Oklahoma, Jackson Elementary, 
There was a little girl in the class that I had a crush on. She had long brunette hair. Her name was Rebecca. And in our classroom, Miss B's classroom, there was a, a bathroom, one bathroom in there. We were all out for recess one day, and I needed to go to the bathroom, so I walked in. Everybody, I thought, was outside and opened the door, and somebody was in the restroom, and it might have been Rebecca. And I knew that, I mean, I was terrified. I was a first grader. Whoa, privacy. And I could tell she was probably even more upset than I was. So what do you do? Run. Slam, I slammed the door and took off running. Pretty soon I heard the door slam again, and somebody else was running after me. And I flew that day on the playground, up and over the monkey bars. You know, I don't know. I, I do not remember if she caught me, but I do remember running very fast because she did not look happy. When you're running away from something, you can oftentimes run very fast. Sometimes it's not people or embarrassing situations. There are things in this world that we need to run away from and run away from fast. It's things of this world. What makes you, what do you need to be running away from? Money? The goal of just having fun? For some of it's, we need to run away from wrong relationships. We need to flee those things. Paul would tell Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.22, Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. There are certain things we need to run from, and there's others that we pursue, and we need to pursue them with that pure heart. I've also discovered that I can run really fast when I'm running towards something, if I have a goal in mind. Hebrews 12.2, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I think as a child, the fastest I ever ran was to a parent, to my dad. I mean, you love it. You've seen a child run to their parents before, and their dad gets down on one knee and He's been gone a while, and he throws out his arm, and the kid runs. What makes it the fastest is the ending, because you don't ever put on the brakes. At the end, it is a launch. You, you never, they, the child's never running faster than at the very end when they launch themselves into their father's or their parents' arms. And in a very real sense, that's how we run this race, to open arms, and we run to the end. And if you feel like you've been running this race a long time and you might see it coming to an end, it's just getting close to time to jump, to just leap, to leave, leave it all behind into the arms of Jesus because we run toward Jesus and we jump into his arms. What does that look like on a daily basis? I'm not for sure, but I think I know a little bit of it. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. That's what a leap looks like. Jump into the arms of Jesus with all your worries. So, how do you keep your eyes focused on Jesus? Run toward him. Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Want to consider a win? Consider Jesus. Evaluate your race. So, keep your eyes on, focused on Jesus. The second thing I want to look at in this passage is how do we embrace hardship? Running to win includes embracing hardship. 
And we're going to look at Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 4 and, and down through verse 13. And to start with, I'm going to read several verses, and then we're going to go back and highlight a few thoughts and make a few points from it. So let's begin in Hebrews 12, verses 4. And, and this is a reading out of the New Living Translation. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, My child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Let's continue on in verse 7. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child that is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his children at all. All right, so I'm going to we'll put it on the screen, verses 5 through 8. I know it's a little bit small. It's kind of hard to read. But when I was reading that, any words step, jump out to you? I mean, if you were to read this kind of from a worldly perspective, I think this word probably would have jumped out at you first. I have to confess, it probably did me. Man, that's a whole lot of discipline. And I think when, when Satan wants other people to consider this Christian race, this amazing race that we're on, I think he stresses this an awful lot. The negative, the downside, the discipline. That's the worldly focus. But I imagine for some of you, especially those of you who have been running this race a long time, a different word jumped out. From a godly focus, we can't help but realize that we are God's sons and daughters. We are his child, his children, and God loves his kids, his children. He cares. He cares enough to want us to be able to overcome that hurdle he sees coming in our lives. He cares enough to want to keep us on track so that we can stay with him. He cares enough to discipline. But when I think of discipline, here's what I focus on. I messed up and I failed. But when we look from the child perspective, a child of God who knows a loving God, hopefully we learn how to see that God cares enough to discipline. So let's look a little bit more closely at God's discipline. Verse 10. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. Good parents do their best to discipline their children. God's discipline is always best for his children. It always has a purpose. And the purpose is, like we're talking about today, is that we can win. That's a win, that we might share in his holiness, which means that we get the reward of being in his presence forever because we are holy like he is holy. And in the race, it's not always enjoyable to be disciplined, but it brings a great reward. And that reward is that holiness that allows us to enter into the presence of God forever. You know, when we are disciplined... 
here on this earth or by a God, we have several potential responses. Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So I can remember as a child being disciplined and even other times in life. And there's a couple of postures that we can take. One I often did was just resigned. Okay, okay, that's just how it's going to be. But more commonly, I, I accepted it with self-pity. <laughs> I don't deserve this. <laughs> poor, poor, pitiful me. And then that usually leads to anger and resentful to whoever was disciplined me or maybe even to God. But we can also accept it graciously and allow it to accomplish its purpose in us. Those who have been trained by it, by that discipline. That word training actually is a, where we get our word gymnasium, a place that we go and train, that we get ready to, to run the race, to live the life, to accomplish what God would have us to do in life. Discipline helps us clean up the sin in our lives, and it moves us along that pathway to righteousness and holiness. So it's about time for us to conclude, but let's get really practical as we wrap up the message. And I, I want to see verses 12 and 13, the last of the passage for today, and just look at some, some really practical ways that we can make this happen. First of all, let's read verses 12 and 13. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong you know uh, one of the things coaches directors parents those who are helping you along coaches are known to um, push you to your limits you ever had anybody that pushes you to your limits I'm not saying pushing you to your limits by pushing your buttons but trying to help you go farther and accomplish more and that's exactly what this passage talks about God who is challenging us and pushing our limits and encouraging us to go beyond what we thought we could attain. And yet when that happens so many times, we feel pressure on us and pressure can cause us to be paralyzed and literally fear causes us to step towards inaction. But if we'll stay with it, we'll run with it, we can help others and help ourselves as well. So let me just highlight a few uh, phrases out of this passage. First of all, take a new grip with your tired hands. Well, if your hands have ever been tired, you, you just want to <laughs> stop working. I mean, they, they hurt. The Christians that the Hebrew writer is writing to probably were feeling sheer exhaustion. Their morale was low. But rather than concede defeat, the Hebrew writer says, continue to make an effort. Take a new grip with your tired hands. The hands are no, not, no longer any tired, but instead of losing your grip, you take a new grip. You hold on tighter. Rather than conceding def defeat, you're going to make every effort to endure. Take a new grip. Stay the course. Run. Stay in the race. Don't let go. This isn't the end yet. 
Take a new grip. And then strengthen your weak knees, or as another translation put it, stand firm on your shaky legs. I like that one. And you, you know what it's like to have your legs shake? Probably a couple of different ways. Fear. Have you ever been so afraid that literally you had tremors in your leg? Your knees were knocking, as they say. Or you were so tired that, that your legs, you couldn't hold them still. They, they, you were just worn out. Discipline or persecution can cause fear in our lives, but they should not cause a Christian to fear. Instead, difficult times should encourage us to endure. Rather than dropping in defeat and collapsing, strengthen our weak needs. knees. Christians should stand firm, even when we're a little shaky, because we have a confident expectation that Christ will return. So get a grip, strengthen those knees, and then verse 13. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Make out a straight path for your feet. If you've ever followed a pathway in, in nature, in the woods, that is just a natural pathway, uh, maybe created by animals, maybe not, it is going to weave and, and wind and go up and down and around and not necessarily be a direct path. Most of the paths we're going to follow at Lake Arcadia around here are, are what I would call a straight path. Somebody designed them. They, they figured out a way to get where you need to go. And they, they moved the rocks and they leveled the dips and, so that you can walk this pathway. And you can go further and do more. And we're encouraged to mark out a, a straight path, to figure out a way that we have a chance to keep going and, and fighting. Make a straight path for your feet. But it doesn't stop there. Make a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall, but become strong. So as, as you're walking that path, you have a choice. There's a rock in the middle of the path. You're gonna pick it up and get it out of the way. A, a limb's, a branch has fallen, a tree's fallen. Are you going to make it where you can walk this path? But not only you, but there, there's, there's folks behind you. We, we are church. It's not just our own, own kids. It's God's kids that are with us. And some of them are weak. And they're really struggling with walking. And so pick up those pebbles. And pick up those rocks. And pick up those limbs and make that pathway where they can walk and be strong too. Does your example make it easier for others to believe and follow Christ? Does your example make it where others can be more mature in Him and be holy? Run to win. But we're not running to win like the world says, calls a win. Finishing First, ahead of everybody else, I don't have to be the best. I just have to be better than any, everybody in this heat. And it's not finishing with the most stuff. It's can you keep that faith, those of us who are Christians?
And to do that, we need to run with eyes focused on Jesus. And to help us realize, to do that, we realize we're running with others. The Lord, when we became Christians, the Lord added us to his church. We are not alone as Christians. And so get close to each other and watch how fast you can run and flee the evil in our lives. But not just that, pursue the arms of Jesus. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus and embrace that discipline. It is not only character building, it, it, it refines our faith. Well, we're gonna sing an invitation song in just a moment. And during that song, it's a time where we all just pause and, and personally reflect on our walk and maybe what God's been saying to you this day. To those of you who are Christians, you've put on Christ in baptism, maybe it's just a reminder. We get distracted by the world, but you are here today, and may you be encouraged in your walk, in your run, and run to win. Run to be holy. Pursue holiness and righteousness so that we can be in the presence of a holy God forever. You got this. Keep running. To those of you who have never put on Christ in baptism, this, what we talked about just now, we, we've done a lot to describe what it means. Is the race you're on defined by the world? Would you rather be a part of a different race? If, what it means is you never let the, no longer let the world define you're not in control and the world's not. You confess Christ as Lord of your life and do this on a daily basis. In other words, Jesus decides, no longer me, no longer this world. You recognize that you're walking the wrong way, running the wrong race. You decide that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You put him on as Lord of your life and you have your sins washed away and that's in the waters of baptism. And then you live the new life, the new race. We've got plenty of time. We would love to see you put on Christ this morning. Remember the love that lifted each of us, and it's the love that carries us on. Let's stand and sing.